0: to read a short passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights." And I just wanna encourage you this morning that our God is not a God of fear. Amen. Amen. That we can trust him, that he is good, that he brings wholeness and fullness in everything that he does. And I think a lot of times we rely too much on our own eyes and too much on our own brain. And we say, God, I don't really think I can obey, obey you in this because it doesn't look good. Like, I, I feel like I can see the end of this and it looks ugly. But God asks us, he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me that what I have for you is good? Do you trust me that what I have for you is a gift Come from my heart? Lord, he's a father to us. And why would a father give you a scorpion if you asked for a piece of bread? I mean, like, that sounds like a terrible gift. <laughs> right? But we, we laugh, but when the Lord asks us, honor me with your wealth. We're like, I don't know about that, God. But why would he give us a curse in response to our obedience? Why would he not provide if we are faithful to him? So I want to encourage you that if the Lord is asking you to step out in faith, if that's with a tithe, amazing. But if that's with a conversation you need to have with someone, if that's with something that you need to do with your family or anything like that, walk in obedience and walk in faith. Because we can trust God because he is wiser than we will ever be. And his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and his ways are so much better than our ways. So I would like to invite the ushers to come forward. We're gonna take our morning tithe and offering. And I just wanna take this moment to consecrate not only our finances, but also the entirety of who we are. So Father, we come before you, Lord, and we're full of gratitude because you are good to us. We stand on the promises that come from your Father's heart toward us. Lord God, and as we give today, I pray that you would bless not only the gift, but also the giver. Lord Jesus, and as we we give of our obedience, as we give of our faith and our trust, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring more faith and more trust. God, that you would just multiply not just obedience and submission to you, Lord God, but trust. Lord God, that everything that we would do would be out of incredible confidence in who you are, Lord God. Incredible confidence in the steadiness and the steadfastness of your goodness, Lord Jesus. And we praise you and we thank you for you are good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Bless you as you give today. Thank you to our worship team and for Pastor Hannah for challenging us with that and our time and our offering. Third Sunday of the month. You may want to give to our building fund as well. It's exciting what God is doing in that area. If you want to turn your Bibles over to Second Chronicles chapter 6, I'm excited to share God's word with you today. We'll be there in just a few minutes. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Last Sunday I shared a little bit with you about why I get so excited. For each and every Sunday, and how God is doing some exciting things, and it seems like uh, every Sunday is my new favorite Sunday, as much as that can seem repetitive. I just I love this church. I love what God's doing. I love being here in God's house with you. And after that message, someone asked me the question, and it was a good question. It caused me to think a little bit. Is they asked, you know, what my least favorite things are about church or about being a pastor? Because they reasoned that I can't just love it all. There has to be something. That I don't like, and so that got me to thinking: What are the things that I least enjoy about church and about being a pastor? And so I started an internal mental ranking system, and I came up with uh, quite a few things—not um, the typical things that you may think or that you know other pastors may may have as their things that they don't enjoy. Some pastors don't enjoy summer. Because, you know, sometimes the attendance is down, there's a, a summer slump or, or people, uh, you know, they go on vacation or, or whatever. And that's not it for me. I, I love when families can spend time together. I love when they get the rare opportunity to go on vacation uh, or whatever. And so my approach has always been if. You know, kind of frustrating sometimes if someone's just sleeping in and they're skipping church. But if they're out of town with family and uh, they're spending time on vacation, all that kind of stuff, then, then instead of complaining about it, I want to bless them as they take that time and share in their joy, that opportunity. So that's not even an issue for me. Summer doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I can't wait for it to warm up and be summer. Amen. Amen. That may be the favorite thing I said in the sermon. I don't know. <laughs> My least favorite thing, it's not a holiday weekend. Some think people think that pastors have it rough because they have to work all the holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, Easter, all this stuff, you know, that you know, a pastor doesn't get to spend the time with his family on those holidays or whatever. And here's the thing is that I enjoy holidays with my church family. I, I love it when we get together. That's never bothered me. And I found out just like in the same way that you can buy Valentine's Day candy half off, after Valentine's Day, and it tastes just as good, that you can celebrate with your family other times and other places and other ways. And so we we get time as a vacation and holidays, and we celebrate that. We figured it out over the years how to do that uh, as a family. Although I will tell you about the Valentine's Day candy, Safeway ripped me off. I went there this weekend to get some of the discount 50% off candy because that is what I needed in my life this weekend was cheap candy and they did not have any instead they had full price Easter candy already (laughs) tell me where to file a complaint so that the day on the calendar is not what makes it special I enjoy our holidays as a church so my list would probably include a few things like this, and you probably share this one of something that you don't really enjoy. Um, it really has nothing to do with church. It just happens that it falls on a Sunday, and that's the time change Sunday. Can I get an amen on that? That is, is got to be my, not my least favorite thing overall, but it certainly makes the list, and I think we can all agree that the day that we lose an hour of sleep just stinks, and that's not of God at all. The second thing... It can be frustrating sometimes a little bit It's maybe the inaccurate portrayal of pastors and stereotypes because of the culture or because of the lifestyles of a few people that are out of balance. Let me just tell you this, that no one becomes a pastor to become wealthy. I'm all for pastors that are successful and hardworking, being paid fairly and being paid well. Oftentimes pastors have advanced specialized degrees. And sometimes they work 16 to 80 hours a week. They're on call 24 hours a day. So fair pay and even good pay isn't bad. Most pastors, this is might surprise you, they don't own their own jet. And they don't live in mansions. And they're willing to work additional jobs and live on less and do without. And so the culture's idea that pastors have this kind of lavish, extravagant lifestyle, it beats me. If that is, I'm doing it all wrong. I don't know. But honestly, that's not my least favorite thing either. One of my least favorite things about church is the political season and what that does to people and what that does to the church. And I remember growing up and having rules, you know, you probably grew up with these same rules that uh, you don't talk about politics and religion at the table, right? Anyone grow up with some, a rule like that? And you don't talk about politics and religion with people you like because it can be divisive and maybe you won't like them after you're done with the conversation or maybe they won't like you. It seems like some of those rules have kind of gone off the window. As a pastor, um, the political season is just something I honestly don't like. O- oftentimes as a pastor, if you pray for the president, some people get mad. And if you don't pray for the president, then other people get mad. And if you ever say something that seems like it's political, even if your intention wasn't to be political, you better watch out. Because people on both sides of the issue are going to get mad and they're going to use scripture that's going to try to prove their point and talk about what they believe and all this kind of stuff. And some people will just boldly claim to know absolutely what the will of God is (coughs) as to who should be elected and who should not. Others will make big declarations about who you can and can't support as a Christian because they've got it all figured out. And there's churches where people get mad and threaten to leave unless a pastor or the church will publicly promote their favorite candidate or endorse certain uh, campaigns or political parties or speak to their pet issues. And oftentimes what happens is if you go down the political road, you just end up with angry people on both sides of the issues. It's funny how in the same political season, the same pastor, one person can be called a right-wing nut job of a pastor and at the same time be called a flaming liberal hack. That happens. I don't know how it happens to the same person, but it happens. And it's already started earlier than normal this year. Mm -hmm. People are extremely opinionated and some are even loud and angry about it. People make bold and extreme statements and They're they're exclusive and definitive. And just so you know, I'm not talking about anybody that's here today. I don't base my sermons based on what you do. So I know everyone right now is like, oh my gosh, did I send that pastor that email? The pastor, he's now preaching about me. That's not what this is about at all. Just bear with me. It's gonna be okay. Here's my thought though, a politically divided country is a bad thing, but an angry, argumentative church that's divided against itself because of something like politics is a terrible thing. Probably already made some of you mad, but before you walk out, let me just clarify a few things for you. I do believe that you have the right and the, uh, the 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 ability to have an opinion and to free speech. I do believe that we can't be silent on important issues that matter. I do believe that as Christ followers, we should be involved. In the political process, we should be informed it's great for people of faith to hold political office and for us to support them and the things that they believe in. I do believe that there's things that are right and wrong and that God will bless people and nations that promote righteousness. I do believe those things. However, I also believe, like with all of our rights, we got to use wisdom and exercise discernment in them. I believe that it's our responsibility to love God and love people. And that's more important than our desire to look right or to be right or to be proven right. And I also believe that in a healthy church, a healthy growing church, you should find people of all cultures, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, people with differences and diversity, and that includes even political inclinations. Our kindness, our love and respect for each other is more important than proving a point or being right. I personally don't think that anyone wins when they win an argument but they lose a friend or they close a door on a relationship with a person or even if they lose respect of a person or a family member because of the way they handle themselves. It doesn't matter how right that you think that you are. I can honestly tell you that I don't consult opinion polls or pundits or look on Twitter in preparation for my messages. Maybe I'm old school and that I believe in spending time in prayer and God's Word and really speaking the truth of God and what He would have for us. But I want you to know that when you come to church at New Life, you're going to hear what God has for us and the truth of His Word and not the agenda of any party or any person. I only want to follow God's agenda. So instead of being divided around politics, I think we should be united around Jesus because that's the most important thing and should be the most important things in our lives and in our church. God has called me to pastor this church, not to be a political spokesperson. The Word of God has a lot to say about values and righteousness and authority, and I'm going to declare the truth of God's Word and the most important message that there is in the world, but it's not a political one. You can get politically driven speeches and partisan talking points from a lot of different places, but that's not our purpose here. Our country is probably more politically divided than ever. If you ever wonder, where might I find some kind of political banter that would be a lovely addition to my day? There's all kinds of places that you can, just not here. There's talk radio, there's news networks, there's TV shows that are 90% politics and 10% news. There's social media posts by every political party, by other interested parties, by maybe even other countries, who knows? There's the impulsive use of social media and emails being shared and forwarded, some accurate and some not, by well-meaning people. There's plenty of sources of politics, but that isn't what God has called the church to be. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It doesn't have to be. The result of all this in our culture is often anger, fear, division, worry, all over fake news and false promises and all the junk that goes on. That's not what this is supposed to be about. You may ask, Pastor, aren't you concerned about our country? Don't you care? I want you to know I sincerely do care, and I'm very concerned about our country. There's a lot of things that concern me. Care and treatment of people from the time they're in the womb until the time they're in the tomb, that is very important to me. It includes things like abortion care of the elderly, treatment of foreigners and refugees. And the Bible isn't silent on any of these issues. It's staggering to think there's been 60 million babies aborted in our country since the legalization of abortion. It's 60 million people that are gone. That concerns me. I'm concerned that every 10 seconds a child is either physically or sexually abused and every day four children die from child abuse or neglect. of those children are below the age of three. That concerns me. Fatherlessness in our country concerns me. That 43% of children in the U.S. live without a father. That contributes in part to 750,000 teen pregnancies a year. It concerns me that in 2018 there was 127,000 reported rapes and 16,214 reported murders. It concerns me that at the same time that these statistics rise, that church membership and attendance have declined by 20%. The number of professing Christians is at an all-time low. America is a mess and yes I'm concerned. I'm concerned for our country. I'm aware and concerned about the issues. I want to see things change and improve for America but here's where I differ from some other people. My hope is not in a politician, my hope is not in a political party or in any man. I thank God that it's not. I believe that the only solution for America is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who's in the White House will only change so much. It won't save America. Only God can save America. What the stock market does isn't the cure for our country. It won't solve all our problems God is the only solution for our problems. What the Supreme Court court rules matters, but it isn't the ultimate authority. Authority comes from God, and he's able to give and to take away. God is the ultimate authority for our lives, and he's the answer for our country. What message are we sending to the lost and the hurting in in our world if they can't tell the difference between a Pentecostal church service and a political campaign rally? The church trades its prophetic voice for a political one and loses sight of the true reason that we exist. And God help us when we no longer experience the move of God and the change that he can bring in a life and in our country. So what should the church do? Do we just stand by and watch as the country goes down the slippery slope to hell? Do we start our own political party? Do we petition and picket more? Do we need more Christian TV and talk radio or here's a good one. Maybe we can solve all of our problems with Facebook. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what do we do, really? When a nation has lost its spiritual compass, what should be the response of the church? Well, let me tell you, the Bible's not silent about that either. We're going to look in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. In the Old Testament, there's the nation of Israel... It was on a political and a spiritual roller coaster. It's interesting how often those two things are aligned. Mm -hmm. The nation and its leaders would often turn away from God, and then the nation would lose a war. They'd be taken captive. In response, the people would cry out to God, and they would repent. They would destroy idols. They'd tear down altars. They would declare that they would only serve and trust the one true God. And so there would be a season of prosperity that would follow, and people would then get comfortable. They would turn away from God. The cycle would begin again. Moral decay, de- decay spiritual decline, sexual sin, political corruption, self-centeredness increased, godliness decreased, idol worship would return, selfish, immoral leaders. Does any of this sound familiar to you? And then they would hit rock bottom. They would repent and cry out to God, and the cycle would continue over and over again. And then enters King Solomon. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he built an elaborate temple to honor the Lord. There was nothing else like it. The dedication of the temple to the Lord was a huge affair. If you like our celebration Sunday, you would have loved this day when they're dedicating the temple of the Lord. Solomon, he prayed a prayer to dedicate the temple. And in that prayer, he prayed these words from 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 24. He said, When your people, Israel, have been defeated by an enemy because they've sinned against you, And when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land that you gave them and their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land and you gave your people for an inheritance. For when famine or plague comes in the land or blight or mildew or locusts or grasshoppers or enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whenever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions and pains and spreading out hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart, so that they will fear you and walk in obedience to you all the time that they live in the land you gave our ancestors. I find it very interesting that Solomon attributed the problems and the challenges that Israel faced, not to their enemies and not to the political leader or system in charge, but on the attitudes and actions of God's people. He didn't feel like the answer was in politics, protests, or pickets. He didn't say fight more, fuss more, and Facebook more. He felt like the answer was to pray to God and to repent and be who the church was called to be. Amen. It continues in the next chapter, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1. It says that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple The priest could not enter the temple because the the glory of the Lord was so strong and it filled it. And then look what happened next in verse 3. It says, When the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. God, would you let that happen again in our country today? My prayer is that when we see that our country is in trouble, that we would recognize our need for God above all else and that we would pray and repent and that God's presence would fill this place and that we would worship God. And not only that, that as we are changed, that other people would see what God is doing and they would see how the glory of the Lord is in this place and they too would bow down and worship the Lord. God heard Solomon's prayer and sometime later, he responded to Solomon 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, he said, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for your sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or I command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Now pause for just a second. Why would God do that? Remember Solomon's prayer. These things happened because God was judging his people for their sins. Why is that important? Because it's It's God's people that were being judged. They knew what they were supposed to do and they didn't do it. They sinned. So we can't twist the scripture that the judgment is coming against anyone else but the church, but Israel, but God's people themselves. It's all about God's people. So then God gives Solomon instruction for a nation in crisis. And this should be the response of the church in America today to the problems that we face. This is how we're going to see real and lasting change in America. If we want to see America healed... God says to the nation in crisis, this is what I want you to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's it. That's God's answer for his people. I believe that that's God's answer then for the people of Israel. And I believe that that's God's answer for our country today. So I want us to take a good look at this verse. I know many of you have heard it, but I want you to know and embrace it and understand God's instructions. The goal is for America to be healed. We want our country to be restored in order for that to happen. God says, if my people who are called by my name, who is that? Who is is God talking to? My people called by my name, that's us, that's Christians, that's followers of Jesus. God's people aren't a political party, they're people who love God. We are the people of God. This is a word from God for his people then and for us now. And you may struggle with the instructions of God right here. You can easily look at our world and decide that the problem isn't us. That it's them, but that's not what the word of God says. How many times do we hear a good sermon and do we wish that somebody else was there to hear it because they really need to hear that message, right? Instead of trusting God that he knew that you were going to be here and you needed to hear that message. Too often we make the challenges to be us versus them. But God starts off speaking and dealing with the church. So are you a follower of Jesus? If so... Then God's plan for America starts with you, and He says, "If you want to see a turnaround, this is the answer." Now I'm aware of you that some of, I'm aware that some of you aren't going to like God's answer. You have a different way that you'd like to address it. God's answer can even be controversial because it's not the popular answer, but it's God's answer, and it's better than your answer and it's better than my answer because it's God's answer. The second thing He says is humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name. Will humble themselves. The word used here for humble means to stop sinful, self focused, arrogant behavior and approach God in repentance with a humble attitude. So, how do we do that? Well, first, you acknowledge that you don't have all the answers. That's important in our country today. When we look around, we see the angry posts and we see the arrogant people that know just exactly what needs to happen. We have to acknowledge we don't have all the answers. We're way too quick. To think that we have the answers for our sin-sick society. We act like we have it all figured out, that we have the solutions. There's a meme for every strong opinion. We share posts made by the one person that has the right perspective. And if everyone would just do what we say, then everything would be fixed. And I hate to tell you this, but Christians can often be characterized as arrogant know-it-alls. And that's because often we've been acting like it. Mm-hmm. We need to apply God's instructions to our lives before we direct anger at people that aren't serving him. It's arrogant to presume that we know how to fix everything. In reality, God is the only one that has the answers. The second part of humbling yourself is to worship. Worship is an act itself of humbling yourself before God. Worship acknowledges that all power and authority belongs to him. It acknowledges that creator God has the answers, not his humble creation there's a resurgence of worship in our culture. There's play worship songs on the radio stations. There's worship albums. There's people that attend worship concerts or nights of worship like we had last week here in Laramie and that's awesome. But but true worship doesn't require a big name artist or an impressive worship band with 10-piece orchestra. Worship isn't singing a song or and calling it good. It's not just the first 15 to 20 minutes of a service. worship is a lifestyle. Worship is how we respond to God with our lives and our actions and our words and our sacrifice. It's decision that leads to humility. It's where we acknowledge that there is a God, and it's not us. This next thing that he says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face." Remember, the end result is that we want to see our nation healed. We want to see uh, our sin forgiven and our land healed. God's formula for healing a nation in crisis is for the people of God to pray. Did you hear me? God's plan is that we should pray for our country. It seems too simple. It seems like the last thing that we want to do. We would rather seek answers through politics than through prayer. If we can just elect the right people, if we can enact the right laws in America, then America could be healed. But would that make sense if we're facing a problem that's not a political one, to have a political answer? Because the problem in America isn't the political one, it's a spiritual one. And we can't solve a spiritual problem with a political answer. Let me ask you a question. If we could elect a president that believes exactly as we believe and does exactly what we would do, and every elected official at a local, state, and national level all just believe the same way that we believe, would all the problems in America be solved? First of all, no, because you can't legislate righteousness. Second of all, no, because it's impossible to elect people who all believe what we believe, because we don't even all fully believe and agree on the same things. Even this morning, all of us here, we wouldn't be able to reach a unanimous consensus. We have people on every side of the issues. But let's say that we could all agree somehow, and then we elect only people who hold our views. Imagine if we got all the laws from zoning to immigration to gun laws and crime bills exactly the way that we want them. Would that usher in the kingdom of God? Would that cause the hearts of parents to be turned to their children would all marriages then all of a sudden become this magical model of faithful love? Would greed and pride be legislated out of existence? Would the problems of sexual immorality and anger and violence and suicide and addiction just end? It wouldn't, of course not, because human system has no ability to change the human heart. Only God can do that. Amen. Now before I get an inbox of angry emails, let me push pause and say that I'm all for... Christians in politics, at every level. I have relationships with dear friends in the city government of Laramie. On Wednesday of next week, I'll spend the day in Cheyenne with some of our state elected officials in a legislative session, I find that fascinating. Just as I believe that God calls people to serve Him in Africa, I would be thrilled for God to call people to serve Him in Laramie, in the government, in the state government, in the national government. I would love it if God would call one of the students from this church to serve Him in some capacity in local, state, or national government. And only if they become president, they got to remember they better send Air Force One for their pastor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <one> <laughs> There's many believers that serve already in some capacity, and they need our prayers. And I want you to aspire to leadership in every segment of society. And I do think that we can make a difference, and God can use us to do great things. I think we should vote. I think we should be involved in the political process. But we must never mistake our involvement in a political system for God's answer to the problem. I love and pray for those involved at all levels of government. I love America. I love our leaders. But my hope for the future and my hope for this world is not in them. I put my hope in Jesus Christ. Now God may use those people involved to bring healing to the world. And then I believe that God can use America to bring healing as well. But understand that healing is found in Jesus Christ alone and it comes from him. He's the hope for our country and our world. And our citizenship has to be in heaven first and America second so easy to get those mixed and backwards. The answer is prayer. In just a few weeks, the National Day of Prayer is coming up on May 7th, and uh, we have Lisa Evans, who was here in the first service this morning. She's coordinating that event this year, and I encourage you to be involved. But don't stop there. We need people to pray. We need to be people of prayer. God's answer is clearly revealed in Scripture, but too many Christian Americans unfortunately aren't doing it. Why? Because prayer takes time. and Because prayer takes humility. And people want instant answers, but God has called us to pray. And we want to control things because God isn't doing it on our timetable. Even as God tells us to humble ourselves, we arrogantly push our opinions and ideas forward. Prayer is more difficult than forwarding another angry post. Prayer takes focus and effort. Prayer puts the emphasis on God and not on you. Prayer doesn't gain social media followers. There's no glory in prayer. Your ego doesn't get fed in prayer. Prayer doesn't make you look powerful or important. But prayer is the strength of the church. And too often we're tempted to turn to politics rather than to prayer. So try this. Every time you're tempted to post something political on Facebook, why don't you post a prayer instead? And not a prayer that says, God, would you get that liar and get him what he has coming? Why don't you post a genuine prayer that brings unity in God's purpose and his presence in our country? There's a reason that God said we have to humble ourselves before we pray. Because if we don't get humble and acknowledge that we don't have all the answers, we'll never turn to God in prayer. If we want our land healed, it starts with humbling ourselves, seeking his face in prayer. So is prayer a priority in your life? Many of us will proudly display our I Voted stickers in the coming days. We'll see them on Facebook, we'll see them on Instagram, we'll see them all over. People will wear them for the entire day. And there's nothing wrong with that. Go and vote and wear your sticker. That's awesome. But I wonder, are we as proud of praying for America as we are of voting? I'll keep moving because of all the chorus of amens that I'm receiving. (laughs) My people... Called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So good, but it's also once again so interesting because God is talking about the church, He's talking about you and me, but He says we have to turn from our wicked ways. Probably another reason that we have to humble ourselves first is because wouldn't we like to believe that we don't have any wicked ways that we need to turn away from? <laughs> Yeah, okay, we can fool our friends on Instagram into believing that we have a picture-perfect life, but God knows the real story. Remember a New Life, we said that there's no perfect people here. We're all sinners in need of saving. But God says that it starts with us. It starts with his people. It starts with the church turning away from their wicked ways. One of the problems that the world has today with Christianity is hypocritical lifestyle. They can go to church and say, this is what I believe. And we can sing about God and we can say all the right things. But we go home and we live our lives as if nothing is different at all. All too often, we're willing to expose the sin of others while we conceal our own. We're quick to point out sins in society, but we don't want to point out the sins inside the church. God isn't fooled. There's something wrong with the church today if the lives of people inside the church is no different from the people outside. It shouldn't be that way. People addicted to pornography inside the church the same as outside the church. People focused on self inside the church the same as outside the church. We put up with the three G's of greed, gossip, and gluttony, and we pretend like they aren't sin because we enjoy those. Those really aren't that bad, are they? Because we want to compare ourselves to everybody else. We already said no perfect people are allowed here, and that's 100% true. Being a Christian and going to church doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you never struggle, or that you're better than anyone else. But we believe that Jesus is the answer for sin, and he's able to deliver and forgive and change lives. And if we're not becoming more like him, the more we follow him, it's not because God isn't able to restore. It's probably because we're not willing to repent. And God's calling us to repent, to turn from our wicked ways, to change direction, If we really want God to heal our land, we're going to need to get to a place that we acknowledge our own need for spiritual healing. If we're going to see revival in America, it has to start in the church. It has to start inside of us. And you know what? It's not super comfortable saying that we have to turn from our wicked ways as the church, but I want to make you even more uncomfortable for a minute because there's some obscurity and anonymity in saying church. Why don't you make it personal today? You and I, need to turn from our wicked ways. For a moment, don't say that turning from the wicked ways starts with the church. I want you to start with you. We are the church, right? We are indeed. So consider the verse this way. If Matt Baumgartner, who's called by God's name, will humble himself and pray and seek God's face and turn from his wicked ways, then God will hear, hear from heaven and forgive Matt Baumgartner's sin and heal this land. That's a little more difficult, isn't it? I'm not going to reveal and identify your wicked ways here today, and God's not either, but he already knows, mm-hmm. and you already know, and I challenge you today to make that verse personal and ask yourself, what do I need to change? What wicked ways do I need to turn away from? If I want to see change in my country, then how is it going to begin with me? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Autumn, will you come? Just begin to play softly. If we do what this verse talks about, what happens? The goal that we've been trying to accomplish on our own, but we can't. God can. He can hear our prayer. He can forgive our sin. He can heal our land. See, that's what I want, and I know most of you, and I know that that's what most of you want, but the desire isn't the issue that we have. The question is, are we willing to follow God's plan? Are you willing to put it into practice? Do we want to see America healed so much that we're willing to humble ourselves, that we're willing to spend time in worship, that we're willing to repent and pray and seek God's face? Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a promise from God. It was originally given to Israel, but I believe that God offers it to us today as his people. I want to finish the story that we started in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The sad reality of it is that the promise that God made to the people, they didn't take God up on that. God gave his people a direct promise, and and even with that promise, God's people continued in their wicked ways. And the result was God's judgment on the land and the people. They never repented, they never humbled themselves, they never prayed, and so God didn't forgive their sin, he didn't heal their land. Instead, they were conquered by enemies in the very temple that was once filled with the glory of God, to the point that the priests couldn't even walk inside the temple. That very temple was destroyed by invaders as part of the judgment of God on his people that refused to repent, that refused to humble themselves, that refused to pray. Now, I'm not predicting that for America. I'm not God, and I can't tell you what's ahead for this country, but I can tell you that it's time for God's people to follow God's instructions so that we can see God's promise fulfilled. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. My heart breaks for our country Right now. Heartbreaks that we fear when we send our kids to school. Heart's broken because the country I love is in a mess and it's so deeply divided against itself and it seems like we can't work together on anything. My heart's broken because the church has been portrayed as angry and oftentimes it's true. My heart's broken because we've forgotten our assignment, which is not to be politics and politicians and to set up a political party, but the the assignment from God to be salt and light of the earth, to draw people to him. My heart's broken because I fear that what God had to do to get Israel to repent is what he's going to have to do to get us to repent. It's not judgment against those people judgment against his people that knew better that had a promise from God and refused to repent but the good news is that we can turn it around we can make a difference in our country if we're willing will we do it? will we humble ourselves? will we seek God's face and pray? will we repent and turn from our wicked ways? we have the ability to do it even today, even right now it starts with me it starts with you, we are the church we are God's people and we're also America so today we can do that the coming weeks promise to bring even more division in our country it's time for God's church to be united and not around a candidate or a political party or a certain side of an issue it's time for God's people to be united around Jesus the only hope for our world is Jesus will you bow your heads and Father God, we humble ourselves before you today. We admit and acknowledge that we don't have all the answers because we've tried a bunch of stuff and none of it has worked. So, God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive our sin? Would you forgive us for prioritizing other things before you? Forgive us for bowing down to the false gods of convenience. And of greed and materialism and impurity Lord forgive us for putting other things before you forgive us God forgive your people forgive your church Lord would you forgive our arrogance for thinking that we have all the answers and for assigning the answers to politics and elected officials rather than trusting you to do what only you can do rather than obeying your word and humbling ourselves and seeking your face, and praying and repenting from our own sin. God, would you forgive us and heal our land? God, we pray for America today, in a time that it seems that there's no way that we can come together. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring the church together. God, I pray for peace in Jesus' name. I pray for peace in our government and in I pray for peace in our leaders and peace in the schools and peace in the church and peace in our homes. God, would you let peace rule in our hearts? God, we don't put our hope in a political party or in any person that we can elect. We put our hope in you, God. God, would you fill this place with your glory? Would you bring in people that are even driving past because they sense your presence. They sense that your presence is filling this place and it's drawing them in, not because of great preaching or impressive music, but they would walk in and sense the presence of the living God and that they would know that the glory of God fills this place. And Lord, as we are the temples today, would you fill our hearts and would you fill our lives? And will we take that with us into a world that's desperately in need of you? And God, don't let us miss an opportunity to share what really matters because we've divided ourselves on political matters. Lord, we rise to the assignment that you've called us to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth that's different from what's around us. God, I pray that your glory and presence would fill Wyoming and America, that your kingdom would come and your will be done. We pray and cry out for healing and change. Oh, Lord. We're going to conclude our service with a time of communion today and then we'll be dismissed. I'm going to invite our ushers to come Help us to distribute those elements. You don't have to be a member of our church today to receive. Just ask that as they pass this out and you take the bread and the cup, just hold it and we'll partake together in just one moment. of Christ. It's a reminder that Jesus paid it all for us. That his body was broken for us. That his blood was poured out for us. And that that is enough. That we don't need anything else. That we don't need all the other answers that the world turns to. That what Jesus did once and for all on the cross paid the price. The blood of Jesus cancels our debt. It cancels our sin. We can go to the Lord and find forgiveness when he says if we will do those things, if we will humble ourselves and repent and pray and seek his face, then he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin. He will heal our land. The healing and the forgiveness comes from what he did on the cross. So as we reflect on that sacrifice, we reflect on what he did so many years ago, we reflect on the power that it has in our lives, for our church, and for our country today. God would you heal America would you save America would you forgive and restore America today you are able we trust you in that trust that you are able we trust that you a moment right now even as you're holding that bread and that cup and just talk to the lord just sense what he's saying to you maybe he wants to shed light on some area of your life that he wants to call you back to him an area of repentance an area of restoration and forgiveness what is the lord speaking to you symbol, a reminder of his body that was broken for us. It was broken so many years ago for us, for our sin, for the sin of everyone then that had been committed for our sin. It's it's the body that was broken for America today. Today as we partake of that bread, we remember his sacrifice. We remember his body that's broken. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for this bread. Just a simple reminder of what you did for us power that lies in it, the stripes you took on your back are for our healing, that you willingly accepted the cross for us for the forgiveness of our sins, and Lord, we honor you and remember your sacrifices today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. It so says in the same way he took the cup, No, it's a reminder of his blood that was poured out for them. We know from the word of God that the blood of Jesus is what brings the forgiveness of our sins. It washes our sins right away. Jesus paid the price and his blood breaks the chains. It breaks the chains then and does it now for our country today and everything that we're going to need going forward. Jesus did it all. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the promise that we have through Jesus. We thank you that you are more than enough. We remember your sacrifice. edges on and we go into the unknown not knowing what's going to happen but Lord we trust you because you know and we believe that all authority comes from you so Lord instead of being politically divided we choose to unite around the name of Jesus we choose to believe that healing and forgiveness starts with us and that if we would simply turn from our ways humble ourselves and pray that you will hear our prayer you will forgive our sin, you will heal our land. May we see it happen in the name of Jesus. May we be united together around that thing that really matters, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.